Well, if you're uh, joining us, we are walking through this very challenging book called Revelation, which in the Greek means apocalypse. And it's a different study that, that we normally do, but we always go to the Word of God here. And, and we, we, we talked about how, how God's redemptive story, I mean, God's mercy and his grace and his forgiveness and offer of salvation has happened over and over and over again, century after century after century. But, but the end of the story, the end of the story, which Revelation is, is God's patience is done. Not it's about to be over with. No, it is over with. And the God of the Bible is finally going to do what he has promised to do is bring, bring wrath to wickedness and evil. He's going to bring justice finally. And so, so the God of, of of the book of Revelation is the same God, but, but the title, like we hear a lot in the New Testament of God, our Father, that title is not given to God in, the, in Revelation. It is God Almighty or the Lord God Almighty. And, and Jesus is referenced all throughout Revelation, but he's often referred to as the Lamb, capital L, the Lamb. That was a picture of the Old Testament sacrificed a perfect spotless lamb for the covering, you know, for the covering atonement of mankind's sin. So that's who, who God the Father is referred to, is God Almighty and Jesus as the lamb. Now, if you're joining us today, you're kind of jumping in near the end of the movie, all right? Uh, we have today and three more Sundays after today, we'll finish up this book. But we are well past the halfway point of what is called the tribulation. The first three and a half years is the tribulation. The last three and a half years is the great tribulation where God has been having three waves of wrath, the seven seals that were opened for God's wrath, and then the seven trumpets, you know, announcing seven different types of, of wrath of God and judgment of God. And then Pastor Bob talked a couple weeks ago is the seven bowls that were poured out onto the earth. Again, uh, the, the waves of seven of, of judgment uh, to planet earth for all the wickedness, all the evil, all the blaspheming of God, all the despising of God is finally being poured out. So now we're nearing the end. And, and this redemptive story, like every epic story, has a climactic um, you know, confrontation. Uh, and, and, and great movies have these epic confrontations, climactic confrontations at the end. Maybe you've recognized some of these movies. Anybody ever heard of Gladiator? All right, any guys like Gladiator? Okay, Gladiator, all right. You have a former Roman general turned slave called Maximus, and he's in all these arenas fighting. At the very end of this movie, he is fighting his arch enemy, who is the evil Roman emperor, Commodus, and they're, they're in, the, in the ring, and they fight. That's an epic conclusion to an epic story. Anybody ever heard of the, the Avengers, all right? Again, a great story of, of the Avengers fighting Thanos, the one who killed by the snap of his finger half of the population on the earth, and they, they wanted to avenge all of that, and there's this epic confrontation at the end of that big story. 
And then there's also, maybe you've heard of this little movie, hasn't gotten a lot of traction, called Star Wars. Star Wars, right? And the, all of the episodes, you know. And, and then the, the final one is, is Wicked Emperor uh, uh, Palpatine fighting against a Skywalker, Ray Skywalker. I mean, it's just, these are, these stories, these epic stories with these climactic end, you know, confrontations at the end, See, human beings were made in the image of God, and we're storytellers. Why? Because God is a storyteller. And, and, and we're, what we're finding out now in this, in this message today, if you're taking notes, the, the, the revelation scene that, that we're really setting up for a climactic uh, deal next Sunday is the showdown between Satan and God. They've, they've been at it, you know, in all of our human existence on, on planet Earth, but it is, the story is winding down and it is leading to, and we're setting up today, this battle between the ultimate good versus evil is Satan against God. Now, as I've been teaching all through this, all through this challenging book, is that Revelation wasn't written chronologically. There's so many things happening, and often an event would take place, and then it was written about and described in the, in the, in the preceding chapters. So in Revelation chapter 16, the final of the seven bowls of wrath are being poured out onto, onto planet Earth, then seven, that was 16, then 17 and 18 are describing what happened, what happened there. And in chapter 16, because of the bowls of wrath being poured out, that is where nations turn and send their armies to a valley of Megiddo, which is famously known as the Battle of Armageddon. But that was in chapter 16. And a lot of things took place. So 17 and 18 are filling us in the backstory of what just happened and why all these nations are headed to Jerusalem, are headed to Jerusalem. Now in chapter 16, in verse 19, a great city is mentioned. In fact, a great city is mentioned eight times in scripture and every single one of them are found in the book of Revelation. And every time the great city is mentioned, it's referring to Babylon. Babylon. I mean, there's been movies made about Babylon, series made about Babylon. Well, in Revelation, you keep hearing about Babylon, Babylon. We're going to unpack what it means that would help us understand what took place in, in chapter 16 and help us understand what's going to take place in chapter 19 next Sunday. All right? You can go ahead and turn to Revelation 17 uh, right now. I'll get there in just a moment. But this great city of Babylon is referenced all through the Bible, and it has multiple meaning, if, meanings, in fact, five different meanings. The first meaning for Babylon is, is this, it's, it's ground zero for the beginning of sin. Ground zero for the beginning of sin. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, there is the garden that God placed Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, and it mentions rivers. It, it's given a location. And we hear and we read about the Euphrates River and the Tigris River. That was the location of the Garden of Eden. That was the place where sin started. And it has jacked up 
you know, earth and us human beings ever since. So that place is the place of Babylon. And the serpent in Genesis chapter 2 is none other than Satan himself. So that is the battle, kind of the, the ground zero for the beginning of all sin. The second meaning for Babylon is it's the original source of idolatry on earth. In the same location where the Tigris and Euphrates are, the Garden of Eden's either been hidden or removed from God. But there was the first place that idolatry started. Genesis chapter 11, human beings all spoke the same language and they said, you know what? We know how God wants us to approach him through sacrifices and off, the offering sacrifice and, and, and the offerings from God. And you know, we don't want to do it that way. We want to get to God our way. And they said, we had an idea, let's build this massive city and we'll keep building it higher and higher and higher and we will reach heaven and we'll get to God ourselves. That's called the city of Babel. Same location, same location. And that's where God looked and said, well, man's trying to get to to heaven his way. That's what religion is. And that's where God said, we're going to frustrate human beings. And they all speak one language. Now, boom. Now, here's all sorts of different languages. And they stopped the work at the city of Babel because they couldn't understand their co-workers. And then they began to gather together and migrate and, 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 and clump together people that we understand. Oh, I, oh, now we're speaking the same thing. I don't know what this gibberjash is over here. And God did that to frustrate mankind because that was the, really the first picture of idolatry and a false religion on planet Earth. Now, the third picture of Babylon is the actual empire, right? The first Gentile kingdom to conquer Jerusalem, King Nebuchadnezzar. That's the Babylonian empire. That was the first world, or at the time, global empire, and it was Babylon. And that's what started this thing called the age of the Gentiles that started at Babylon. It goes all the way to the end, and when the seven years of tribulation end, that's when Babylon's reign ends. The age of the Gentiles that we talked about a number of weeks ago, Jesus mentioned it in Matthew. The age of Gentiles started with Babylon, and then Persia overthrew Babylon, then Greece overthrew Persia, then Rome overthrew Greece. And then from that point on, it's the revived Roman Empire of different empires, different kingdoms around the the earth. And that's the age of the Gentiles that will stop at the end of the tribulation. And then the fourth Uh, The fourth uh, example or picture of Babylon is the actual seat of power for the Antichrist during the last three and a half years of the tribulation. The first three and a half years, the Antichrist was just kind of building his resume and becoming popular by working peace treaties with Israel. And he he was recognized. And Daniel talks about how he he was attractive. He was a very great communicator. He was very winsome. But then something happened that I'll talk about. I'll remind you of something happened that the whole earth said, we'll follow this guy. We'll follow this guy. And the seat of power or his worldwide headquarters in Revelation, we find that it's in a place called Babylon. Now, scholars don't know exactly what 
what, where this location is. It could be the ancient ruins of Babylon that are still there. They're archaeologists. Uh, we're, we're starting to uncover during Saddam Hussein and then afterwards, and they took a pause for COVID and they're back at it. It could be the revived ancient ruins of Babylon's. Uh, chapter 17 uh, kind of implies that with the Euphrates River in chapter 16. But then in 17, it, it could give us the location that this Babylon, the headquarters of the Antichrist, is actually in the city of Rome. Because chapter 17, it refers to Babylon as the city with seven hills. Well, Rome is known for the city having seven hills. And, and let me, you want to know my answer of where I think it is? My answer is, I have no idea. I don't really think it matters. But the, the location, the physical location of the headquarters for the Antichrist is in Babylon. But in my study, I came across a magazine of archaeology. I love, I love all that stuff, okay? Uh, that's why Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the coolest movie series ever. Um, and this article is called Ancient Babylon in Iraq is Restored. So no, this is an article from November 2018. And as they're uncovering artifacts, this magazine mentions this that caught my eye. It says, uh, Mohammed Ahmad is sponging the bricks around the relief of a dragon with a serpent's head, it's so well-defined, it looks like it might have been made yesterday instead of more than 2,000 years ago. So one of the things they found, and this article wrote about it, they dug up and they found this image of a dragon with a serpent's head. Now, in our study of Revelation, we know that the dragon is a reference to Satan himself. Back in Genesis chapter 2, he comes in the form of a serpent. I just found it super interesting that in the ancient city of Babylon, one of their images that has been recovered is a dragon with a serpent's head. Now, in the scope of Scripture, Babylon is mentioned more than any city on the earth except one city, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is mentioned more in scripture, but the second most mentioned city in, 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 on planet earth is, is Babylon. And as Jerusalem has a special place in the heart of God, Babylon has a special place in the heart of Satan. And we're going to see it all come together. So the fifth kind of representation of Babylon is this. It represents all false religions. So in scripture, in the passage we're gonna talk about today in 17, it is representative, is symbolic of all false religions. Now, I mean, ever since man sinned against God in the, in the you know, city of Babel and we're gonna, we're gonna do it our way, God, and have religion and get to God our way, there's been so many different kinds of man-made religions. And so, but if you take all of them and you put every religion around, there's two systems. There's man-made religion and then there's the God's redemptive plan. 
Man-made religion is simply this. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're watching. If you're watching, I would challenge you to do some studies on world religions. And you will find, uh, outside the Bible, you will find it all coming down to man must do something to get something from God. Salvation, forgiveness, acceptance, whatever. Man must do something. You got to do this. You got to do that. I mean, you go all the way back to the ancient idolatry that even Israel uh, was gravitated to, and, and they began to worship this God, man-made God called Molech. It, it was disgusting. It, it was, uh, they, they, they made a fashioned an idol, and, and this huge idol with his arms out like this, and then way down below, you know, 30 feet below or so, and they had this huge bonfire, and the heat would rise up on this metal structure, and they believed, worshipers of Molech believed, that if in order to get rain for my crops, I needed to sacrifice one of my own baby children. And they would climb up and place the baby on these metal arms, now searing hot because of the heat. And they'd lay a babe, their baby on that and they would worm because of heat and fall down and, and, and be burned alive. You're like, that's horrible. That, and, and it was. God was so disgusted out there. And they had that outside the walls of Jerusalem. But it was like, well, in order to get rain, I have to do this for God to give me what I need. And, and whether it's prayers or, or I got I to pray, I got to do this and I got to do that. I got to go visit here. I got to go get a march around this, 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 you know, this worship place. And I got to do whatever. All man-made religion is man has to do something to get God's favor. You put that all in one bucket. And what stands alone is biblical teaching of God's redemptive plan. That instead of us trying to earn our way to God, God said this, mankind, you are sinful and you are in need of a savior. I will come to you. I will come your direction. So God sent his son Jesus in the form of a human being to take our sins as the perfect sacrificial lamb of God. Take the sins of mankind and he will die. And then he rose again proving that he was the son of God. That, see, that, see the contrast that we have to do these things to earn, you know, favor with God, good works, attend church. You know, I got to do this. Kind of, I got to be a good person. And God goes, no, no, no. You can't. You, there, there's nothing good enough that you can do. I'm a holy God. I'm coming your direction. I'm coming your direction. So Babylon in chapter 17, which can sound really confusing, which I'll explain it today, is really that, that's, that represents all Mankind in chapter 17, the spiritual Babylon is judged. The spiritual Babylon meets its maker and is taken out, absolutely taken out. So let's join me in chapter 17. We'll read some verses, then I'll explain. Verse 1 One of the angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. 
Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of all prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. I was greatly astonished. Now, a woman is commonly commonly used in Scripture to give a picture of a world system, I mean a religious system. In the Old Testament, the religious picture was that Israel was the wife of Jehovah. He was the wife of Yahweh. And that's why in the Old Testament, God would send prophets to them and say, why are you going after idols? Why are you making with your own hands idols that have eyes that cannot see, ears that cannot hear, arms that can't do anything? You're making an idol and you're worshiping that. And God viewed that as you are committing adultery, spiritual adultery, Against me. It's like, so they were like the wife of Jehovah. And that's why God was so hurt and so frustrated. And, and, and then said, now, because of that, I got to send you off in captivity and, and you need to repent from your idolatry. The picture was you're the wife of God. In the New Testament, Jesus, a picture of Jesus, uh, he's the groom and he's going to marry the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ is the followers of Jesus. We'll talk about that next Sunday, the marriage of the bride and the groom. So a picture was of the church and believers is a bride. Now in verse 1 and verse 5 and all really all through chapter 17, We're reading about a prostitute, a harlot, a woman riding a beast. And like, what is that? Well, that is a picture of all the false religion that man has come up with to worship and to follow. God is finally going to deal with false religion. Now, verse 2, it says that, that this, this woman, you know, that she intoxicated, she was, people were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. If you think about it, false religions is a sedative and a stimulant. Like, oh, if I do this, you know, the, 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 the gods of rain will come and you know, I feel so much better by worshiping to this God. And if I, if, I, if I do these things and I walk these miles, if I crawl on my knees, you know, up a mountain, you know, to, to, to a God, that, that, you know, it makes me feel better. I'm doing something. It's intoxicating. But it's adultery against the one true God. Verse 4, it talks about this, this woman, this harlot, this prostitute is dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. 
You see, false religion is attractive. It's appealing. What I'm about to say, I'm not trying to be mean. But it's true. Mormonism is very attractive. The family. Emphasis on marriage. And the the Mormon friends in my life are the nicest people you would ever meet. But they are following, like Galatians 1 says, another Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. But it is attractive. It is alluring. But if you dig and really understand the teachings of Mormonism is they have to earn their right into one of the three heavens. And the more you do, the higher heaven you go to. That is not in the Bible. But it is very attractive and very alluring. It says in verse 6 that this prostitute, this woman riding the beast, was drunk with the blood of God's holy people who bore the testimony of Jesus. See, false religion has persecuted and killed followers of Jesus ever since Jesus rose from the grave. False religions were like, hey, no, the, 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 we, you're worshiping you know, this craziness, and that's it's witchcraft, and it's this and this and that, so we, let's kill them. And let me just tell you today, a persecution of believers in Jesus is alive and well on planet Earth today. It is only, it's increasing and it will only increase. It's amazing how our world, even our own American culture, is very tolerant about every religion except Jesus and the followers of Jesus. That is not by accident. That is by Satan himself. But you look over time, pull back the the camera on religion. Religion has killed millions and millions of people in the name of religion. Have you ever heard of the Crusades? The Crusades are, and Satan has used that to paint a broad brush against Christ followers. They weren't following Christ by let's kill as many Muslims as possible. It was all about power and glory, but in the name of God, we're going to do this. God did not sanction the Crusades. Let me be very clear about that. That was Satan-inspired. Then the whole, in Europe, the, the clash between Christians and Catholics, you know, Protestants and Catholics and, and killing each other and, and wars and, and people, you know, losing their life and stuff. That was not from God. Satan's just stirring up in the name of my religion, I'm doing these horrible things. We see it in the Muslim religion. There's conflict between the Sunnis and the Shias. Different perspectives about Muslims, and they fight each other. They kill each other. Remember Bosnia and all the bloodshed and those civil wars. That was a religious civil war. Then you have Muslim uh, terrorists and suicide uh, people who, who, before they pull the trigger or blow themselves up, they yell, Allah Akbar. In the name of Allah, I'm doing this horrible thing so I can have all these virgins in heaven. See, all that is Satan-inspired. And this picture of this prostitute, this woman holding the blood of innocent people in her hand. Let's pick up in verse 7. 
chapter 17, verse 7. It says, the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. See, what, what he's describing, let me tell you about this beast that this woman is riding on during the tri- last part of the tribulation. She, what, she, she's all religion, but the beast she's riding on is the Antichrist several times. And we talked about this a few chapters back. This Antichrist, halfway through the tribulation, he dies. He gets killed. He once was. Then he was again. He, he rises from the dead. Satan rises the Antichrist from the dead. And, he, and here it says he actually comes back from the abyss. He is now Satan-inspired and filled with Satan. And halfway through the tribulation, when this happens, when he comes, comes again, the whole world turns to him and say, man, if anybody can be killed and rise from the dead, he must be a God. Let's all follow him. But when Jesus died and said he was going to die and prophesied that he was going to die and prophesied multiple times, you know, with the gospel writers who were his disciples and said, but three days later, I'm going to rise again. And they just, they missed it. That wasn't normal. They didn't see it. But when that happened, Jesus died and rose again. The world has rejected that. That's crazy talk. Why is that? Because Satan has been on a war path of deception and lies to do anything. Let's not worship Jesus. Let's worship anything but Jesus. But Jesus. Let's, let's can continue that. Verse, verse 12. It says, the ten horns you saw are ten kings or ten rulers, ten presidents, ten leaders of different nations who have not yet received a kingdom But who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast? They have one purpose and will give all their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, that's Jesus, but the lamb, talking about what we're going to talk about next Sunday, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called chosen faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where, where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, look at verse 16. It says, the beast and the kings will hate the prostitute. We know who this is, is all world religion. They will hate it. 
And halfway through the tribulation, after the Antichrist rises from the dead under the power and influence of Satan, all the kings, the rulers of all the different nations still around will say, you have our allegiance. In fact, let's worship you. But this is talking about rulers hating religion. Let me, let me just kind of break some news to you that Satan has always hated religion. He's used it to distract people and deceive people away from the one true God. But Satan has always hated people worshiping anything other than himself. And it shows up here that they, they, they hated the prostitute. Verse 16, they, the rulers, will bring her to ruin, bring her to ruin and leave her naked. Leave her naked. Wait, wait, wait a second. They've used this woman, the false religions, they've used her over the generations and over the centuries, but they've actually hated her, but there's coming a point where they will kill her, and it goes on, eat her flesh. Well, that's symbolic of they will destroy and, and annihilate and make illegal all religion except the worship of the Antichrist, which is actually the worship of Satan. You think about it, pull the camera lens back over the course of history, rulers and kings and presidents over, the, over history have often, not all the time, but have often used religion to gain power. Even in our own country, I mean, there, there for a while, if a president was campaigning, if he did not say that he was a Christian, there was no way he would ever get voted in. And I don't know their hearts, but I, I know the history of man enough that people have used Religion, hey, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower, I'm this and that, to get votes, but when they get in power, they don't, they don't act like they're a Christian, they don't rule that like they're a Christian, they don't legislate like a Christian, they've just used it to get their butt in the White House. Anybody hear, hear me? That, that's just human nature. It's human nature. I'm not making any judgment calls on red, purple, blue. Don't, don't email me, Okay. I'm just saying this has happened. But there's coming a time, and it's, I believe it's after the Antichrist comes back from the dead. That is why they were given, we talked about this, the mark of the beast on their right hand on the forehead. That's an allegiance. That's a, I'm going to worship and follow the Antichrist. That is when all Islam is now banished and illegal. Mosques are destroyed. Other places of worship are destroyed and outlawed. No one's worshiping anything or anyone other than the Antichrist. That's what's saying that they hated her, but now they have a chance to kill her. That's talking about religion. It comes down to Satan's, his, his long desire is I'm better than God and I want to be worshiped. And now it's happening. Now it's happening. So now it sets up, you know, it, it, what's, what's happening in chapter 16, and, but 17 is saying all this, the spiritual Babylon is going to be destroyed. All world religion. It's going to come down to worshiping Satan or worshiping the Lamb. 
There are no other choices. Now, chapter 18. Chapter 18 is God judges the physical Babylon, the actual location of the headquarters of the Antichrist. And and let me read chapter 18, a few verses. Verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons, a haunt for every impure spirit. Let me pause right there. When the Antichrist is getting worshipped, this earth has not seen demonic worship like it is going to see. They've already outlawed and destroyed every other form of worship. So the, the place of his, you know, kind of his empire headquarters, it is a den of demonic worship. And they've noticed it. It's a haunt for impure spirits, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt uh, for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening whining of her adulteries, the worship of Antichrist. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins have piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Jump over to verse 9. When the kings of the earth, who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury, see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn for her, terrified at her torment, that they stand far off and cry, woe. Woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour, your doom has come. What is this doom that took place? Well, we read about it in chapter 16. Chapter 16, it says, the great city split. That's Babylon, the physical Babylon, split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great, and gave her the cup filled with the wine of his, the fury of his wrath. And the world is shocked, but we thought he was God. We thought that his headquarters was untouchable. Now it's up in smoke. All the value is gone. But they followed him. With all the nations of the city destroyed, chapter 16 said, not only with the massive earthquake where islands disappeared, mountains collapsed, all the cities on the earth are destroyed. Not only with the earthquake, but then God sends these hailstones. These hundred pound stones, chapter 16 said, and the cities are destroyed. Now, did you guys survive the storm of Kitsap County? <laughs> the tornado, right? How many of you, your phone went off? How many of you did what I did? Oh, it's an Amber Alert. It's what? <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, some of you in the Midwest, or you know, you, you understand you're hidden in, like my, my wife grew up in Iowa, and just the, when I told her, she, her phone didn't trigger, and I told her all these images of when she was a four-year-old child in I, Iowa, and running, run, run, run to the, to the basement, came back to her, and she was kind of freaking out. I was like, and, she, and we're check, I'm checking the like, cameras of my exterior house, like, oh my gosh, a tree's going to fall in my house. But I came home, it was hail. Anybody else had hail on their, on their house? Chapter 16, these hailstones, they're, they're stones, not ice. Not little pellets, little cute pellets. Still 100 pounds, destroys all the cities. All worship other than Satan through the Antichrist is outlawed. But then the physical location of all the cities and the location of the Antichrist destroyed that is why in chapter 16, the nations started marching to Jerusalem. Why? Jerusalem's the only city on earth that is relatively unscathed. Again, a picture in the Old Testament when the plagues hit Egypt. All of Egypt was experiencing these plagues, but the place, Gotham, the place of the, that the Jews lived, they didn't get the frogs. They didn't get the flies. They didn't get those. So the, na- the, the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel is relatively unscathed. That is why the prophecies are going to come true that I'll talk more about next week. Zephaniah chapter 12 prophesies this. God says, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling, all those armies that are surrounding Jerusalem, they're gonna send them reeling. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. On that day, on that day, when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, impossible odds, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations and all who try to move it will injure themselves. Verse eight, chapter 12. On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem. On that day, I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. So the stage is set. All religion is gone except the religion of the Antichrist. It's really Satan through the Antichrist and the worship of Jesus. And there are believers hiding out. We'll talk about that next week. But the stage is set why all the nations came surrounding Jerusalem. And they're like, we're done. And yes, they're going to wage war against the people in the city. But they're there for one reason. They are actually waging war against the Lamb. See, with all these destructions coming about, they're not going to be going, well, you know what this is? This is a global warming. This is climate change. This is why. We, we talked about that. They know with all the wrath, they know that God Almighty and the Lamb of God, Jesus, is bringing wrath to, to planet Earth. And then we're done. We're going after his children, and we will kill and defeat Jesus. But guess what? Jesus is ready for this fight. He's been ready. And he's going to mount his white horse. And the saints are going to mount their horses and come back. The, Jesus will come back the second time. 
And we'll talk about that next Sunday. And it is awesome. It is awesome. Dear God, I just thank you for taking the time to call John to write down the revelation of Jesus Christ, the coming apocalypse, the coming wrath of God. But God, right now the window of salvation is wide open for people to trust in you and not trust in any other man-made religion of how they get to God how they earn their salvation. God, the window of grace is still open for people to humble themselves and accept the free gift of salvation by faith that Jesus was the Lamb of God who died on the cross to pay for their sin, rose again, proving who he was. And I pray that you would draw people today in this room or those who have been watching this whenever they come across this video that they would repent and trust in Jesus alone for their salvation so that they can escape this coming apocalypse. Lord, help us as we continue this next week. May you draw people to yourselves. We pray all this in Jesus' name. We pray, amen. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when he comes back, I saw, I remember, this is extra. You didn't, the first service didn't get this, right? This is extra. It's bonus. I remember seeing a bumper sticker as a kid in San Jose, California. Jesus is coming back. And boy, is he ticked. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. I don't think he's mad. I think he's like, we're done. You've been fighting against me. It's over. If you're our guest today, thank you for joining us in this Bible study. Love to have you back. If you are our guest here live, you go to the guest services. We have a gift for you. Uh, and, and we just say thank you for, for being with us today. Hope to have you back. Invite somebody. Invite a friend next week back at Graceport. May God bless you. Have a fantastic day.